Hello and welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I am your host, Justin. And I'm your co-host, Ian. And I'm your guest, Lex. Awesome. <laughs> this podcast... Nailed it! <laughs> this podcast was created to provide you, our heroes, with new and reusable material for both players and DMs. Yeah, we hope to inspire you with creative content that you can bring with you to your next adventure. Our show may not be suitable for young children, but neither are our D&D games. Heck no. Oh. This episode is brought to you by our generous Patreon donors. Thank you guys for being awesome and supporting us. You really are. <laughs> if you want to support us, you can head on over to CritAcademy.com and follow our Patreon link, or you can go to Patreon.com slash CritAcademy. Um, you get to access the live uh, feed of our show, which includes all our bloopers and all our mistakes and all of our tangents. Um, <laughs> and they're not a short list either. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. Thanks for joining us today here at Crit Academy Studios, where everything's made up and your roles don't matter. Yeah, that's right. Your roles are like Primordia without its two sons. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> wah, wah. Such a terrible joke. It needs those. <laughs> it, it does. So we have an absolutely awesome show for you guys today. Um, we had an amazing uh, feedback from our world building episode and how you guys would like to um, see or hear more of that. So we actually brought a very special guest on with us today, a guy who has created his entire own campaign setting, and I'm really excited to uh, introduce you to Lex Starwalker from Game Master's Journey. Hello. It's great to be here. Yep. Of course it is. I mean... <laughs> I think you oversold me a bit, but well, I'll try to live up. You know what? That's, that, that's just me. I just That's how I roll. I oversell stuff all the time. <laughs> I remember lots of dwarves from our world building session. <laughs> uh, Joe says, what up, my nomies? <laughs> hey, Joe. Um, so we got a really, oh man, we have a gnome lover that this could get ugly. Oh. <laughs> gnome punting begin. My record is 13 <laughs> yards. Okay. Anybody else? I, I figure if I tried it, I haven't played with my Goliath yet. That's with my, my halfling, uh, 13 yards, my halfling, but I'll try with my, uh, Goliath and let you know how that goes. Um, so we got a really exciting, uh, episode. Thank you so much today for joining us, Lex. I know you're super busy with your own podcast, Game Master's Journey. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about that today. On our show today, we have wonderful question from Tom Nelson in regards to the trinket table, which I think is pretty cool. Our main topic will be, uh, world building specifically in regards to how you, Lex, have built Primordia. In addition to, we have our unearthed tips and tricks where, we come up with new and creative content for you to bring with you on your next adventure. So we got a really great show for you um, today, but t we always like to start the show off on a high note, don't we, Ian? We do. And we do that by bribing you with free shit. Each episode, we will draw one lucky subscriber's name, and they will win the five-star rated adventure, Banquet of the Damned, compliments of Goblin Stone. Goblin Stone is a community project for D&D fans based out of the UK. They aim to be a place where you can team up with professionals to turn your ideas into high-quality products and give every fan a chance to get published. Be sure to head over to www.goblinstone.com or you can check out our fellowship link on our website, www.critacademy.com. Lex, who is our winner this week? It, would this be Ben Morier or maybe Morier? Know how you say that? <laughs> the I tradition guess, continues. Yeah. So the, the running joke is we can't get anybody's name right, so we constantly <laughs> argue about how to pronounce it, and you you went right into it without even us saying anything, which is just fantastic. 
Uh, yes, that would be our winner. So let's hear it for him. Congratulations to Ben Morier. If you enjoy the adventure, please head on over to gobstone.com and leave him a review. Uh, every time you leave a review for any content creators, that's one of the best things that you can do because it helps content creators improve their products. So It's called feedback. They <laughs> like it. <laughs> so the very first segment we have today is in the realm where we talk about a little bit of what's going on in our personal lives. Lex, what's going on in your realm? Oh, wow. Um, we had some hail today. That was exciting. <laughs> My my life is kind of boring. <laughs> oh, that can't that can't be that much. Uh, no damage to your vehicles or anything like that. Uh, no, no, my car is in the garage, so it should be okay as long as the garage is still there. <laughs> must must be nice. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a garage. You do I? I'm kind of jealous. I mean, my apartment complex they do have like a carports that have like a roof over it, but they make us pay extra for that. We use them, so I. Don't use them. Okay. Um, are you? Uh, do you do, do some editing or anything like exciting like that recently? Any breakthroughs or anything? Yeah. Well, yeah. I've been doing a lot of editing on an actual play I'm doing right now. As part of the the podcast, I'm I'm doing actual play of that. So that's a lot of editing. Can they? Uh, where can they find that if they would be interested in listening to your voice and your show? Uh, well, they, they can find Game Master's Journey on iTunes or Google Play mm-hmm. or on my website, StarWalkerStudios.com. And the videos of the actual play are on my YouTube channel as well, which is YouTube.com slash StarWalkerStudios. Yeah, his world's amazing. That's why we're going to talk about it today. So you should go listen. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I kind of like it. But, you know. <laughs> That's all that matters, I suppose. I would hope so. Uh, Ian, what's going on in, in your corner of the realm these days? Well, like anybody else in JC Con right now, I am dodging potholes. Oh my god, they're so bad. <laughs> they are terrible. I'm pretty sure that one opened up and I saw a car fall in. Uh, actually, did you see that picture online of that one uh, police officer in Grand Blank standing in a pothole? It's up, up to his, his waist. Yeah. <laughs> it was, wow. It was like a sinkhole, not a pothole. <laughs> I know. There was a meme going around that I saw earlier this morning. It says uh, it shows a guy covering a pothole with flowers to make it look nice. And then right below it was a picture of a vehicle driving through a meadow, and it says, Pothole fills in Michigan. <laughs> Pretty bad. Um, you didn't do no damage to your vehicle, did you? No. Actually, the other meme I saw, too, was like, uh, you know what? They should uh, make sure that pot is legalized in Michigan and tax it to <laughs> so they can fill the potholes. So they- <laughs> there you go. That's funny. They can call the bill the pothole fill. Ha, ha, ha. So, Justin, what's going on in your realm? I've been extremely busy with all the stuff for the show, but outside of the show, uh, we ran a session for Storm King's Thunder on Friday, um, and we had a new player who had never played D&D before, yes. um, and she chose to pick a bard, one of the most engaging classes you can possibly be, um, and she did a phenomenal job. As you meet her bard, a bagpiper. Yeah, the, that bagpipes are terrible, by the way. I was trying to play some music when she was writing her stuff, and I about 10 seconds of that shit, and I was done. <laughs> I completely disagree with you in uh, terms of what I think about bagpipes, because bagpipes are awesome. Yeah, well, you're wrong. Um, those of you that normally are with us will see uh, that Brandon is not here. Um, if you're a religious person, um, feel free to send thoughts and prayers or whatever mojo you send to people's way. Uh, his baby is in the, His newborn baby is in the hospital. 
um, I guess uh, there was an incident where he stopped breathing. So um, and so, if you can uh, wish him best wishes or uh, ask for prayers and stuff. Um, so as far as I know, everything's okay. But it definitely was a scare. That's why he's not joining us today. Yeah. Um, so that'll do it for in the realm. Ian, if they want to go see other, or if they want to visit other realms, how can they do that? Why, one way they can visit other realms is to go to our sponsor, Audible, where they can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial. And to do that, all they got to do is go to audibletrial.com slash academy. And they have over 180,000 titles slash realms for them to choose from for all of your mobile devices. So, before we get on to our awesome main topic, we have a our Let's Talk About Blank segment where we get listener-submitted uh, questions um, to generate a discussion or answer rules as written, which we're not that good at, so don't ask us raw, um, because not my thing. Like, I'm the ruler cool. <laughs> um, so, uh, our question comes from Tom Nelson. From the trinket table, one of my players has number 77, a piece of parchment with a sketch of an elaborate mechanical contraption. He has paid a gnome tinkerer to build it, but it requires a rare crystal to function. It will essentially look like a compass with a rare blue crystal uh, being inserted into the middle and spinning. I need ideas as to what the contraption will do once it is complete. I don't want it to be a compass per se, as that is a little too on the nose. Any ideas for a cool gadget? Lex. Yeah, so uh, my first idea was maybe it could point to something else, like maybe like a strong magical force or something. So if you have something in your campaign that the players are going to have to go find, maybe it points to that or Ooh. or something like that. Kind of like a Geiger counter kind of thing oh, that's for magic. Cool. That's a good. That's a that's a good idea. Um, kind of remind that kind of reminds me of um, what is the the stupid Johnny Depp movies that everyone loves that I don't seem to like. Pirates of the Caribbean. That's the one. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't that isn't that what his compass points to? Like the boat or something? The, actually, the compass points to whatever your heart desires the most. That there is you go. way cooler than what I thought it did. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, I didn't. I like get that too it po- points to your boat in case you forget where you parked it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe. In a similar vein, it could point to the nearest interdimensional portal. Oh, that there would be cool. Go. That would see. That would be awesome if he was like a Horizon Walker. Because uh, if I'm not yeah. mistaken, the Horizon Walker's abilities to detect portals within a certain range. Maybe this just points in a farther direction, and you can actually get a mechanical benefit, an extending uh, feature. That'd be really cool. Actually, Kevin, in a similar vein, my uh, old uh, half orc barbarian had a uh, beer mug that let him knew the direction of the nearest alcoholic product. <laughs> I like that. So every time you get lost in the forest, burst that way. <laughs> it's the tavern's that way. So when he's in a tavern, does it just spin in circles? <laughs> well, he just won't activate it. And, uh, uh, that's funny. Actually, my DM once joked, like, okay, Ian, you were in a Doran city. You use that thing, it will explode. <laughs> so I actually thought long and hard about this, and I came up with a few of the same consensus you guys did. What I thought would be more interesting is if it pointed to something they didn't know existed. Uh, maybe a long lost child that they didn't know they had, maybe a lost relative or a missing missing relative, a known missing relative, something like that I thought would be kind of interesting. Obviously that would be and it would tie directly to that character's background. Ooh. What do you guys think there about you that? Go. But what if you don't have a long lost relative? Well, if your background doesn't say you don't I don't know. It's one of those things I think you could you the the DM could really work with the the, the player to really 
Because how awesome would that be that you got your your gnome, gnomish buddy here has this compass and nobody knows where it points, but he's worked out with the DM that it in fact points out to like his twin sister, and then you know they finally run into this and now they realize you've been making this big hoopla of a plan and turns out that 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 long lost sister is like an evil twin or something and i just i don't know that that idea to me just sounded really interesting and if you could find a way to tie it to the person's story uh would make it even more interesting item at least in my opinion Ooh, interesting question there sam does the parchment reveal uh what it is pointing to or is it just points to something how is that interesting well <laughs> well if it's just when you build a compass, you don't know what it points to. And that's the firmly established. Uh, that could be an interesting plot hook right there. Oh, there you go. Maybe that's the whole point. Yeah, yeah try to figure out what it points to. Yeah. Okay, I can see yeah. that. Good, good idea, go. Sam. He's like, I'm done yeah. being a patron, motherfucker. He's <laughs> 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 like, I'm leaving. <laughs> we want to thank Tom Nelson for his submission. We hope you, we answered your question and gave you some good ideas. If we didn't, feel free to send a letter, email to our complaint department with a $5 check attached. Um, <laughs> save by I gotta your... <laughs> steal that by the way I love that <laughs> when you guys say that uh, Joe says amulet of plot sensing <laughs> there you go <laughs> mm. you don't know where to go I sense a disturbance in the forest it says go that way we'll find something <laughs> the, the uh, compass of MacGuffin finding <laughs> <laughs> uh, made by Mr. MacGuffin the cu- <laughs> or points to the direction of the nearest danger <laughs> danger Will Robinson danger oh that would be cool <laughs> Uh, All right, so that does it for our Let's Talk About Blank segment. On to our main topic with guest Lex Starwalker from Game Master's Journey. (laughs) (laughs) So once again, Lex, uh, thank you for joining us. I was not saved by Ian, so you know, Sam. I was was perfectly on nose with that. All right. Sure. Um, (laughs) So I'm really excited to have you here. Um, I've been following a lot of your work. I'll be honest, and... I was a little sad I couldn't start from the beginning. <laughs> so oh, well, well that's might... changing. I'm uh, I'm re-releasing all the old episodes. Oh, so. that is awesome. You know, we actually went yeah. sales pitched with us about how our early episodes were so raw. <laughs> They were like, maybe we should remaster the first uh, few episodes just because it sounds so terrible compared to where we're at now. For sure. Well, my editing skills got a lot better, so I sound better once it's airing. (laughs) Well, that and we no longer sound like we're reading a script. Oh, that's true. Um, So, uh, Lex, what can you can you tell us a little bit about yourself? All our fans uh, are yeah, dying to know. Sure. So I, I host the RPG podcast Game Master's Journey, um, which covers really all RPG topics, but tends to focus on GMing and world building a lot. Um, I've been playing and running RPGs for something like 26 years. And I started GMing pretty much right away because all the groups in my high school were full. Um, we had a really small high school. Somehow we always get pushed into it that'll work yeah so so basically in order to play i i had to run my own game and recruit my own players uh most of whom had never played an rpg before so not only was i teaching myself to gm but i was teaching my players how to play uh but it was a lot of fun and and i still to this day i think a lot of the best players i played with were were brand new to the game so you know i i actually have to agree with you 100 percent on that because i find that uh, people without uh, preconceptions and, and, and uh, an understanding of the game don't know, don't think about what they can't do. They just think, I want right. to do this. What do I got to do to be able to do this? And I think that yeah. leads to such amazing and memorable uh, moments. So I really wish I could just wipe everyone's mind and start over every game. <laughs> How amazing would that be? Right. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, yeah, they're much more likely to swing from the chandeliers or something <laughs> crazy like that. Absolutely. Ah, right rope. <laughs> ah, I got that reference. You ever seen Princess Bride? That's from oh, Ben Tice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, whoops. Same actor. Same actor. Okay, it's confusing. All right, whatever. That kind of leads into my next question is, uh, what is your most memorable D&D moment? Well, uh, I have a, a fairly recent one, a campaign I'm playing in right now. Um, our characters visited this little village, and while we were there, it was attacked by purple worms. Ooh. And so the first couple to attack were, were little baby ones. Uh, so one of them tried to flee through a tunnel it dug in the ground, and my dwarf war cleric, Keldor, uh, jumped into the tunnel after it, chased it down, killed it, all the while <laughs> bellowing at the top of his lungs, <laughs> In the hopes of drawing the intention of its parents, uh, <laughs> Sounds like a which good idea. it worked. Unfortunately, <laughs> and the big purple worms came. Then it was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, did he become purple worm uh, um, leftovers? Uh, no, he didn't. He's he's a very tanky cleric, <laughs> and I have a lot of fun with him. I play him basically like he has a death wish, which he really doesn't. <laughs> but he worships the god of battle and ale and. Um, just thinks his God is with him and, and he can't lose. So he just charges in where angels fear to tread. And, and yeah, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> That's awesome. That sounds like an amazing game. And I'd love to be a part of something like that. Um, so before we move into world building and, and, and talking and discussing Primordia, which, by the way, is, an, is just an amazing world. So thank you for creating something so awesome. But... Yeah. Can you tell us about your, your podcast, uh, Game Master's Journey, and maybe sure. how it became, came to be? So I started podcasting, I think it was four or five years ago, maybe longer. I've kind of lost track. But um, playing RPGs has always been kind of my number one hobby. Mm -hmm. uh, so doing some kind of RPG podcast was like an obvious thing I wanted to do. And I, I actually started out with a Numenera podcast called GM Intrusions that I did for a couple years. Um, but then fifth edition came out and I started playing D and D again more and more. Right. Uh, and I started building primordia and wanted to talk about that. So, so game master's journey was born so that I could talk about any game I wanted to, although it's, it's been pretty focused on D and D as kind of the example that I use just cause that's what I'm, what I'm playing right now. Right. So that was like, I, I've been doing that for about three years now. I think 211 episodes or something. So yeah, far. a lot. <laughs> a few. <laughs> um, the one thing I find interesting, and in almost I think with the exception of one, every episode I listen to, you're by yourself, and that yeah. is an amazing trait to be able to talk to your audience <laughs> by yourself um, and deliver. No one content. else likes me, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> But honestly, the advantage that comes with that is because you're by yourself, you don't got to worry about people showing up late. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, it definitely takes an amazing amount of preparation and skill to be able to do that. Because me, I'm a bullet point kind of guy. So in order to drive yeah. conversation, I need somebody to talk to. <laughs> so I, I applaud the amount of effort and skill that it takes to, to, to pull that off successfully. So good job. I give you two critic out of your thumbs up. I'm going to put a gold well, well, sticker next to your you. name. <laughs> I, I just got to say that a podcaster is neither late nor early. He arrives merely exactly when he wants to. <laughs> that, I, I messed up the quote. <laughs> that was anyway. close enough. <laughs> close enough, Gandalf. <laughs> uh, that's... 
I didn't get that reference until you said that. I was like, I recognized it, but I didn't <laughs> know what I it was from. screwed it up too bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, story of my life. Um, so, now that we've got all that out of the way, what can you tell us about Primordia? Okay, so, so Primordia is basically a fantasy world, um, but a lot of the inspirations for the world actually come from astrophysics. I'm, I'm a big astronomy nerd. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm a huge fan of science fantasy, kind of blending sci-fi and fantasy. Sure. Um, so I think that like cool astronomy ideas can can lead you to a, a pretty fantastic setting for a fantasy game. Uh, so with Primordia, I wanted it to be kind of a generic D and D world, which is to say a world where D and D would fit and it would make sense, and and the players would would just be able to kind of fall into it, but I, I wanted a, a balance of the familiar and the, the strange. Um, so I wanted to have like all the tropes of your D&D setting, but I also wanted there to be some weird things to make it different. Right, right. So basically, Primordia is a really big world. It's a, a super Earth. It's like 10 times the size of Earth. Um, it's in a binary system uh, that's cl- much closer to the center of the galaxy than what we are. Uh, there are two stars, a red giant and a blue giant. And because it's so close to the core of the galaxy, the night sky um, is very different from ours. There's way more stars and galaxies and nebulas and stuff like that. Um, what we would call the aurora or the northern lights are basically going on every night. Oh, that sounds um, so awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's seen as like a manifestation of the magic of of the world and and i just came up with this week uh calling it the robes of tapestra oh that sounds so hot northern lights kind of look like 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 cloth kind of i don't know and and that's my goddess of magic um so (laughs) because of all this stuff in the night sky it's actually at night it's not really dark um the average night is more more like like one of our full moons Mm -hmm. and an actual full moon would be more like maybe twilight or something oh that's so awesome Really, the only true darkness is underground or or indoors for uh, the most part. One of our, our one of our patrons is asking, um, "Do you have cobalt space pirates?" <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Uh, but that could be a thing. He <laughs> does now. <laughs> well, I'm going to take a note there. <laughs> um, cobalt so I, space pirates. To, to me, the world you have is is has so much things that are similar, but it has so much stuff that's different. Walk us through your process. Okay. So I'm I'm a big fan of what I, I think the DMG talks about, what a lot of people call like the bottom-up approach, uh-huh. um, which is where you start with like a village or wherever the player characters are going to be, and you kind of figure out what that area is like and then later worry about kind of the bigger world. But I also wanted to kind of have a, a feel for the world overall. So mm-hmm. I started with like kind of this big picture stuff, like what I just talked about. Um, a- another thing was, was that the world is very old, that it's had a lot of visitors from other worlds and other planes uh, through the eons. Um, but once I kind of had the feel for that and I came up with my gods, then um, I, I started really small. I started with one city that I call Alandria and kind of the area around it. And um, I, I try really just to build what I need right now um, because I wanted to run games in the world as, as soon as possible. So I didn't want to take like three years to world build and not play D&D. 
Um, so I've really been focused on the city of Alondria and the area around it and, and trying just to, to work on what I need for the next session so that mm-hmm. we can just play now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, that, that's a, that honestly is a really good approach because, um, I, I believe that by starting small, it allows you to take the ideas that the players come up with and easily integrate it versus if you've already got a set structure and it's that world. Um, that's one of the re- issues I have with like forgot playing like for forgotten realms and stuff like that is, you know, if, if I ask, you know, Ian, you know, where did your, where did your hero come from? Where did he get a start? And he can say any random village and I will make it part of the story and he can come up yeah. with the, the own, he can develop a story around a village on his own and i don't have to which means less work for me and i'm a fan of less work so anytime that's to me that's one of the biggest advantages of starting small is you have the freedom to let the players input really bend and shape the world as you're expanding at least that's my outlook on it i don't know if you got any thoughts on that i just remember with anything to put the players say because i like to be open-ended and just go yeah (laughs) simple and straightforward love it ian (laughs) yeah Um, i mean i totally agree and the players, I mean, you've, however many players you've got, they outnumber you. So they're going to be able to come up with more cool ideas than you can anyway. Always way better and, than my ideas. <laughs> yeah. It, so like even Alondria, which is what I spend a lot of my time on, it, it's not like I don't have everything figured out. Like I don't know the name of every inn or tavern in Alondria. So we had um, in a, a previous campaign I ran, it was actually Tyranny of Dragons. Uh, we come up with a a tavern in that campaign that, that was called the fucking pint. And <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of a joke, but the players love that tavern. So someone was like, Hey, is, could there be a, the fucking pint in Alondria? And I was like, sure. Yeah. It's in the Harbor district. And, <laughs> and because not everything's defined, it's really easy to just anything the players want to do. You just like, yeah, I'll put that right over here. Yeah, Why not? For sure. Um, ends are super important. Actually, our last episode we had uh, Lore Smith on, and he just released the remarkable ends in their drinks, and so that alone cool. really opened up my eyes to how important that is. And, and going off of what you just said, your your players falling in love with you know that you can just toss it in. So right, you mentioned uh, falling prey to a world uh, builder's disease. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I got to say that's that's not my turn. I'm, I'm not sure who came up with that term, but I'm I'm also. Uh, a wannabe writer. <laughs> so I, I, I listen to a lot of writing podcasts and read a lot of writing books and um, especially uh, genre like fantasy and sci-fi. And so this is kind of something like a writing term that they talk about. Like, for instance, if you're writing an epic fantasy, uh, world builders disease is just where you spend, you know, tons of time building the setting and not actually writing your story. Or in a D&D sense, it'd be spending a bunch of time building your world and not actually running any games in your world because it's not finished. Right. Um, but it's never really finished. And the the problem can be, and this is, is kind of funny, it's the same whether you're writing a book or you're running a game, is the more of your time and energy you spend on that kind of stuff, the more you want to bore <laughs> the players or the reader with all the cool <laughs> stuff you came up with, even if it's not at all relevant to anything that's going on right now. <laughs> so, so I really try, um, when I'm running a game, I try to focus on, like if I'm going to tell the player something about the setting, I try to focus on something that's directly relevant to, to what's happening instead mm-hmm. of like, oh, let me tell you about the last 30,000 years of history. <laughs> um, 
you know, so, so yeah, that's what I'm talking about with world building diseases is part of it's just spending a bunch of time building the world instead of playing the game. And then part of it's, um, falling in love with all the stuff you came up with and, and trying to kind of shovel it down the player's throats at times when it's, it's not really relevant or they don't care. Right, right. Now, if the players ask you, then you can hand them your fifty-page book and say, "Here you go. Here's everything about the elves." That I see. You wanted to know. I can. Ju- I just can imagine you having like an entire book. Oh, you at? Well, you know what? Roll a. Oh, you rolled a twenty. Here's all the knowledge you know. Come back next week. We'll talk. Yeah, right. Take, take right. some time to read that. There'll be a test yeah. later. It'll it'll be multiple choice. Yes. Ten choices. So you better get it right. Um, so do you have a specific approach to your, uh, to, to your prep? Yeah. Um, so that's something that I feel like how I prepare for games is constantly evolving and and changing. I used to try to plan everything. I would sit down and try to imagine what the players are going to do and, you know, try to map out what I think was going to happen and then plan for that. Um, but I've, I've learned that, that that's crazy because the players never do what I think they're going to do. <laughs> I'm about to say, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it never it never works out the way I think it will. Um, so so I've learned to kind of do it more, kind of seat in my pants, and I definitely, for the most part, I only plan for this the next session I'm going to run. I don't think a whole lot beyond that, um, and be, because I don't know what the players are going to do, so. So, for instance, the campaign I'm running right now, um, I have a few kind of beats planned for later in the campaign. Like, eventually this will happen or eventually that will happen. Right. But other than that, um, and some reveals, but other than that, um, I pretty much just plan for the the next session. And I have a few ideas where it could go from there, but but I really just um, – I, I have a, a – what, what I call flexible encounters where mm-hmm. I'll come up with like maybe three to five encounters that could work anywhere, anytime where oh, the PCs are right I've now. I've got one of those. I call it an in case shit pile. Cause in case shit goes yeah, south, exactly. yeah. <laughs> I can pull from it. I can understand that. Yeah. that powerful, powerful tool. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to hit up or random encounters? You know, it, it's kind of a alternative to a truly random encounter. Cause I, I, I just like to prepare ahead of time. So I always feel a little, um, I don't know, out of my element with the truly random encounter because I don't have time to think about, oh, what kind of tactics would these guys use? Or, right, right. Or whatever. Or what treasure do they have if they're defeated? Or Oh, for sure, for so, sure. I think It's like later I roll up that magic sword and I'm like, oh, you know, the goblin probably would use this magic sword. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, there's, there's, there's something that always happens. And it, it's, it, it's a t- it, this will be a little taste for our, our listeners there, but... Because it's meant to be a, a DM tip. One thing that always bugs me, you slay the beast or the monster or the big bad and there's a treasure chest full of magic items. Why wasn't he using the magic items? Yeah. <laughs> so I got a real, I got a serious problem with that sort of thing. But uh, that's so you make a really good point there. All right. And uh, Lex. Yes. In terms of world building, what do you think contributes to having a good D&D setting? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, I, I think a good for D&D, I think a good setting is is kind of this perfect balance between things that are familiar, like tropes of fantasy, like hero goes on a quest, the old wizard mentor, the mysterious stranger in the bar and and stuff like that. But also things that are different or different spins on those tropes, because, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you want to surprise the players if everything they can kind of predict what's going to happen. It's 
not very much fun. Um, but I think that you want, cause I know some people think, oh, I don't want to do anything that's been done before, but I think it's okay to have that stuff because it kind of grounds the players in, in the world, in the game. It's like, oh yeah, we're playing D and D because this old wizard just sent us on a quest right. to fight a dragon or rescue a princess or whatever. But as long as you during that can do some things that your players don't expect that don't follow that formula, Right. Um, then, then they'll enjoy it. I and, think. And sometimes it can be simple stuff too. Like everyone knows, sa- saving the prince, princess from the the evil bad guy wizard in the tower. But what if instead it's the prince is trapped in the tower by an evil sorceress? You know, the yeah. same exact trope, which was a little bit of different flavor. Is is to me is what makes D and D so great. Those tropes are are known for a reason, but just a, a sliver of change can make it feel new and fresh. So. Yeah. Or one I've used, I think, more than once is the princess turns out to be a badass. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> it uh, really doesn't need your help. <laughs> what was the, 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 the chick from Shrek, man? Yeah, Fiona. Uh, yeah, I, all yeah, I remember yeah. is, is Cameron Diaz because, man, pff, had a crush on that when I was like 12. <laughs> uh, <laughs> love the mask. But, yeah, you know, in that one, she's a total badass. And you find that out and they're like, well, why did we just go through and rescue these? Why did we rescue you? You know, when we uh, talk about your world pr- primordia. We talk about. How it's on the larger Earth, it's in the binary star system. What are other things in your setting that you feel that sets it apart from other fantasy settings? So yeah, yeah, the the whole like being more bright at night, um, and and honestly, part of that is is my annoyance with the whole who's got dark vision thing. Like, <laughs> ain't that a bitch sometimes? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, there's lots of interplanar rifts and and portals, um, and. So, so part of the idea is, is at the current state of the world, um, there's a handful of these city states, and that's kind of it as far as civilization. Um, so there's a, a, actually a lot of the tropes you have in fantasy games you don't have. Like there aren't caravans, there aren't ships sailing from one place to another. There aren't well, there are roads, but nobody uses them. Um, so, so in those ways, it, it's different. And, and for me. When when I when I first started working on it, at first I was just making it a totally generic D and D setting. Um, but then I thought, you know, if I'm going to just do a generic D and D setting, why don't I just run in Dragonlance or Forgotten Realms? Like, why do all this work? Right, right. If it's not going to be different in some way, so. Yeah. Now, so I decided to make it at least a little different. <laughs> yeah, the one thing uh, I, I noticed from your setting is uh, some of the missing races. Not only that you yeah. you decided some don't need to be in there, but you added some new ones, right? Yeah, is that I true? <laughs> um, I did. And I think, you, if I recall right, you added more than you took out. Yeah, I did. <laughs> okay, so the question I have is, did you still use the stats of the monsters you removed in some way, or did you completely redo all of that? Yeah, so I I I got rid of gnomes and uh, dragon guys anyway. So and and I got rid of uh, the stout halflings. So there's just the the more traditional kind of light foot halflings. Okay. And part of that was just like I just don't personally care for gnomes. I, I find them too similar to halflings in some ways, and too similar to elves in other ways. They just don't seem uh, unique to me. Um, Dragonborn, I, I just, I, I don't know. I, I feel like they're kind of underdeveloped, but, um, I know that, I mean, players like options. And one of the cool things about fifth edition is there are so many options right. for, for player characters. 
So I was very, I very much wanted to give more options than I took away. And luckily, I mean, I haven't encountered many gnome lovers uh, in my gaming, but I know they're out there. Um, so, so I added, uh, what did I add? I, I added um, Azamar and Genasi and Furbolgs and, um, well, Tieflings are in the player's handbook. Mm-hmm. Uh, Goliaths I added. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it's funny you asked about the stat blocks. I, I actually, for a while, I was trying to come up with a, a fairy or a fey uh, player character race. Okay. And I was thinking about using some of the gnomes and just reskinning them as some kind of fey creature. Like a pixie or something? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, but I never I, I never got something I was happy with. And then, you know, the elves are kind of fey, and there's tons of elves in Primordia. So I kind of put that on the back burner. You did say something I think is interesting. You, you mentioned that players have so many options in 5th edition. And I feel like every time I read a forum or a Facebook group, everyone's saying that, well, 3-5 had so many more options, blah, blah, blah. Well, 3-5 three, three, was around forever. Well, that yeah. and they <clears throat> added in so much material that After you can, the fact, yeah. Splat yeah. I think is what they're called, right? Right. And yeah. you can easily get lost. And some of them are just kept on repeating themselves from other stuff. And right. some of them didn't really add to anything of... Nope, that was really revolutionary new. Right. Although that said, I did like the, uh, what was it called? The Book of the Nine Swords or something like that. That had good stuff. Yeah, I don't, I didn't, I didn't like 3.5 or Pathfinder, so I'm not as well <laughs> adversed in those. Uh, I do statistical analysis. I don't want to do that when I come home. <laughs> well, well, the funny thing that book added, though, was the, it added th- th- three classes. I can't remember the names of two of them, but uh, the one I do remember is called the Warblade. And basically, think the fighter, only they added like uh, stances and maneuvers. So it's kind of like the uh, forerunner of like the fourth edition classes okay. or the battle master. Oh, all right. On steroids. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, um, you mentioned that you're pretty heavily into like the sciences and stuff. Did you take a lot of inspiration uh, for those when coming up with like your idea? Like you mentioned, the world is ten times bigger than Earth. Why yeah. that? Like, does that like? I, the only thing I think of 10 times is, I think, uh, Planet Vegeta from Dragon Ball, because their planet was 10 times the gravity <laughs> or whatever. But, is I mean, do you take a lot of science and stuff into account when you're designing your world? I, I do as far as, like, like, inspiring ideas, but I don't worry about, like, for instance, I don't know if it's even scientifically possible for a uh, habitable world to be around a blue giant and the red giant. I'm guessing it's probably not, <laughs> but I thought it was a cool idea. Right. And it's magic. fantasy, so, you know, <laughs> there's magic. Uh, um, but, but yeah, the super earth, um, I, I just watch a lot of like shows, like how the universe works, um, Cosmos with Neil deGrasse Tyson, oh, stuff God. like that. I love Neil. And I know that uh, the Kepler telescope, which finds planets around other stars, has found a lot of these these super Earths that are way bigger than Earth. So I thought that was a cool idea. And the, the other thing I liked about it was because it's so big, there'll always be some other continent somewhere that I can add in later if I want to do something totally different than what I've done with the world so far. So maybe I want to do some kind of like, um, I don't know, some kind of like Japan, like feudal Japan-based culture somewhere i could just mm-hmm. put another continent somewhere and right. say oh that's where those guys are and that's where your your samurai and your ninjas come from and and stuff like that yeah i mean that definitely is an advantage of having a larger world where you can just be like well i want to do this so i'm gonna go over here 
<laughs> and it can almost Another have a complete, I had is I really um, like collaborative stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, this way, if I ever like collaborated with like another DM to like run a campaign, you know, the world's big enough that this other DM could just have a continent somewhere and do whatever he or she wanted with it. And, you know, it'd work. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting towards the end here, but before we go, um, I kind of want to ask, uh, what is your favorite part of the world building process? Well, um, it, it never ends, which I like, like you're never really done. There's always more that you can flesh out or more that you can add. Um, you know, you can make a new region or a new continent, or, um, if you've already defined the whole world, you can go to different time periods. Like you could say, what was it like a thousand years ago? Or what's it going to be like a hundred years in the future? Um, and, and it's kind of, for me, it's a way where I just kind of collect all the cool ideas that I find in, in the one place. Like, like for instance, I watched a show on, um, Pangea, which was the Mm -hmm. supercontinent before all the continents drifted apart. And they were talking about how, um, this took something like 10,000 years or something, but how, when the continents like split apart between them, there was one of the oceans i can't remember which one but there would have been like these hurricanes that just went on for years and years and years these like massive hurricanes and i thought that was super cool so i decided to have a a breaking in my world and i kind of did the same thing only instead of taking ten thousand years that happened like overnight so (laughs) dialed up to 11 oh that's so so awesome because uh i actually was talking to lore smith about this not too long ago that uh one of my favorite games right now is final fantasy 14 in the very beginning of the final fantasy 14 game uh Bahamut is destroying everything like it's this big cataclysm and he's just just blowing up everything and and it's i've always wanted to start a, a game off right after that happened because how the hell would everyone feel if a deity or some powerful being just literally just wiped out hundred millions and millions of people and now you're recouping from that and there was nothing you could do even being there during that event I've wanted to do that. And it sounds like you kind of did one shortly within, was it like five years, I think, is when yours takes place? Yeah, five years. Um, So that's not exactly like uh, shit is hitting the fan right this second, which is kind of what I want. But that kind of reminds me a lot of that. Um, Man, I really really want to do that. Like level one, you guys are just (laughs) running around. Oh, what are we going to (laughs) do? Yeah, it's great Um, stuff. um, I also really like um, just like designing new toys for the players to come up with or to play with. Like... Um, new sub races, magic mm-hmm. items, spells, abilities, feats, that that kind of stuff. Um, I, I just I, I enjoy kind of tinkering and, mm-hmm. and oh, can I do this? Will this work? And then being able to give the player something they've never seen before that isn't in the DMG, some new magic item or something. I think that's really fun. Um, it's funny you say that because one of my uh, one of our honor tips and tricks uh, later is monster variants. I, I love monster variants. I take oh, the exact yeah. same monster and I give it a player feat. I take in one monster and I give it uh, uh, a spell effect without it being the spell. I, I take a monster and I give it an ability of another monster. You know, that, that is one of my favorite things to do because who doesn't shit their pants when they run into some <laughs> dra- uh, dragonflies, swarms of dragonflies that start eating your armor. You know what I mean? To me, that is, that is so much more fun than world building to me. Um, and so I would say that I wish my world building would end <laughs> which is kind of the opposite um, of you uh, anyway when you start world building what sort of challenges do you personally run into um, well one thing I've, I've kind of dealt with recently is that that balance of 
something familiar and something strange. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's too familiar, it's it's boring. If it's too strange, the players can't wrap their heads around it. So, for instance, my main city, Alondria, I finally decided to make it a uh, matriarchal, matrilineal society, which is to say uh, lineages traced through the women and not the men. And that's that's kind of a social structure that's that for huge. most of us, yeah, yeah it's totally alien to the way we do things right and it throws a lot of assumptions out the window um everything from adultery isn't really a thing to no one cares if you're a virgin or not or um sexuality isn't really repressed like what we're used to even among the religious um so that was something that, that i'm still not sure it might be too strange it might be i don't know how well the players understand (laughs) how it works (laughs) and if it's maybe you know i went a few steps too far um or or if it's just enough that they're like oh well this is different than water deep or yeah or silvery moon or or something um so so for instance one of the pcs is a fire genasi and part of the backstory the player came up with was that her family was kind of ashamed of her because her father was an afreet and I was like, well, in this kind of society, that really wouldn't be such a big deal because it doesn't really matter who your father was. Right. It just matters who your mother is. And so we kind of had to tweak her, her backstory a little bit. And it ended up, I think it, it made it cooler in, in the end. But, you know, I just kind of have to make sure that the players understand what's going on. And I'm trying to think there, there are fantasy settings out there where it's like basically you, you have to learn – a whole new culture and almost a whole new language to even understand it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think there's a place for that, but me personally, I don't, if I'm reading a book or I'm playing a game, I don't want to have to do that. I want to be able to just understand most of the stuff. And maybe there's a few weird things I have to wrap my head around, but I don't want to have to like take a college course to, to read a book (laughs) or play a game. (laughs) Uh, What's really interesting though, is if you think about it, uh, between uh, the relationship between a man and a woman, it makes sense that the woman would actually be more in charge because think about really like our contribution is not that much compared right, to yeah. what a woman has to go through. So to me, that actually kind of makes more sense that way. You know, a guy yeah. can spit a seed wherever and, and freaking get somebody pregnant. <laughs> but uh, Sam goes, I get loads of ideas in the shower, but by the time I get to my desk, they're all gone. And <laughs> we're all confused together. That's right. funny. Um, and you overcome that challenge by kind of having to twist some of the the, the story for the players and their backstories then. Um, yeah. Okay, that's that seems... Uh, and they, they weren't upset with you at all about that? Because I know some players can get kind of upset if you start tweaking with their shit. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I did have one player who um, kind of part of his backstory was very much like my father was a noble and I'm following in his footsteps and all this. So what I did with that character is I said, well, you're actually from this other city that does things differently. And, and that way he could kind of have the backstory he wanted um, and we didn't have to worry about the fact that it didn't really make sense in right. Alondria. It's like, well, you're from somewhere else, and they're they're different there. Right. So. The far traveler background. <laughs> you came from somewhere. Yeah. Nobody knows really much about it. Yeah, it makes me think of one time where, and I mentioned this campaign before, but when we ran a, uh, I played in a Pathfinder game where they get the DM basically, like you, homebrewed his own world, and there's a lot of city states, but he had our character start, and the city was like, did you not read my background? Why the heck would my character be here? He is very much a wanted man 
killed on sight in the city here. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be I'll be honest, I'm guilty of that. Right. I've had I've had people write these elaborate backstories and then me not actually be able. To, I, I've no. Sometimes I didn't read them at all, and shame on me. But yeah. um, I have one person who just write like literally like a book. I was like, I ain't got time. I was like, can I, you give me a cliff note version or something? Yeah, Cause, right. Because sometimes I, yeah. I, I do encourage that and I do enjoy that because it gives a lot of depth to their character. But and when I got like I had, I think I had like eight players at the time. I was like, I ain't got time to read this shit. <laughs> but yeah. um, I do know that it is our responsibility to go above and beyond and try to make sure we do understand that. But dude, if you're making a player, maybe that needs to be a player tip. Don't be a dick. Make your page a background. No more in a page, okay? Yeah. <laughs> I, I tend to ask for, with my players, I, I say, give me like two or three bullet points. Oh, like that's it's so awesome if you want to give me a novel, but I want two or three bullet points that are here are like three things from my backstory that I want to see come into the adventure. Like my twin sister is missing. Uh, my father ran off and I don't know what happened to him and something, you know, and, and then I can take that and say, okay, I'll, I'll use that. But if you give me 10 pages, like, I don't know what you want me to use. And by the time I'm five pages in, I forgot the first two pages. <laughs> um, yep. So there, there you guys have it. Uh, bonus player tip. Don't be a dick. You can avoid dickitude by listening to Lex. <laughs> <laughs> Bullet points are your friends. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, but we're, as we're closing out here, I have uh, one more question I have to ask. Um, I ask all my, okay. all my, uh, my, uh, what what the fuck is he? He's a, a guest. <laughs> um, one question that I always ask all my guests is: <laughs> uh, Is there any secret projects that uh, you're working on, or anything you can give our listeners a little taste of? Thanks, Sam. I got it. Guest. Thanks. Way to be a hero. <laughs> Very helpful. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, there is. Um, Ooh. Got really great timing. Um, yes. Normally, I would have to say no, but um, I recently self-published a D and D adventure. And I'm right now I'm working on uh, a an RPG supplement for D&D that is going to be called uh, what I call relics, which are a special type of magic item that scale in power with the level of the character using them. Ooh, that's so cool. it, it's kind of to address the problem that, that I have a lot of times, which is like like in stories you know, we have heroes who are known for like some signature item, mm -hmm. like King Arthur had Excalibur, Bilbo had the one ring, uh, He-Man had the sword of power, um, <laughs> the Seeker had the sword of truth. Um, but in D&D, it's like, you know, you don't want to necessarily like say you've got a, a first level paladin, you don't necessarily and he wants to use like his ancestral family weapon. You don't want to give him a holy Avenger at first level. Right. But on the other hand, if you give him something appropriate for first level, by the time he's 15th level, he probably wants something a little better. Right. So so my solution to that was to make items that um, they kind of level up as, as the characters do. So this is going to be an explanation of how you can do that. Either make an item like that from scratch or take an item like the Holy Avenger and make it into one of these items. And then it'll have like a dozen or so example items. Yeah, it. 
that that so. is really awesome. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me, that is uh, really awesome. Um, I think in our very first episode, we talked about uh, player progression weapons, where you can do quests and in, in, in uh, quests and storylines to enhance equipment that you already have. And the fact that you're yeah. going to actually just print that out for me would make that so much easier. So <laughs> I'm a fan. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, you mentioned you had a um, you have a published adventure. Is that what is the name of it, and where can they find it? Do you want to plug that? Uh, yeah, sure. It's called the Trickster's Labyrinth, and you can get that on my website at StarWalkerStudios.com. And um, it's for, I believe it's for fifth level characters, I think. That's nice. <laughs> awesome. And it's, uh, it's uh, easy to slot into whatever campaign world you use, whether it's you know Forgotten Realms or your own world. Um, it actually, the adventure actually takes place on a demi plane, so oh, it's awesome. really easy to kind of just stick into what you're already doing. Hey, I look in this bag. Uh, did he just fall into that bag of holding? <laughs> oh, there you go. That's the trickster's labyrinth right there. There you go. <laughs> well, it sounds really totally. cool. Uh, I'd love to check it out. Um, before you sign off today, um, do you want to, uh, give yourself a plug for everything? Uh, what? Sure. Uh, something? Yeah. Actually, um, if you if you think Primordia sounds interesting, uh, I'm uh, putting my current campaign on YouTube. So we're like nine sessions in now. So you can go to my YouTube channel, and uh, not only do I have videos of the actual play, but I also have this series called Behind the Screen where I talk about how I prepared the adventure or how I ran it and. Um, I'd really love to get more questions and comments on the actual videos because that's what I use to make the behind the screen episode. So I'm I'm hoping it will be a resource for GMs to kind of see how I do it, which, you know, I totally screw up sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I think you can learn as much from a bad GM as you can from a good GM. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I hope it it will be a resource to people and, and also just entertaining. Right. Because we have fun. One <laughs> <laughs> yeah. of my... Uh... My listener is asking, oh, you're not staying for the UTTs? No, he's not. <laughs> um, so my YouTube channel is just youtube.com slash Starwalker Studios. Uh, my website is starwalkerstudios.com, and the podcast is Game Master's Journey. So you should be able to find that on iTunes, Google Play, whatever podcast app you use. You should be able to find it. Yeah, and, and I... I'm 30, probably close to 30 hours into his content, so there's a lot of it. <laughs> yep. So definitely, I can, from my personal perspective, the stuff is really good. I highly recommend it. Um, so definitely uh, check it out. Uh, Lex, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Um, it really means a lot that you, you came on the show. Usually, I sent, it takes me like 20 emails to, to get a response, and that was the first <laughs> one. That was the first and only one I sent and got a response. I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> Awesome. So, well, it was great being on. It yeah. was a lot of fun. Well, yeah. thank you so much for joining us. Um, please, you guys, head on over and check out uh, Lex's stuff. The stuff is great. I love it. You'll love it. So thank you for joining us. You have a thank blessed you. day, man. And I'm yeah, looking forward to uh, seeing your book. Make sure you advertise that or at least tag me in it when it comes out. Because okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm a big fan of supporting content creators. So oh, yeah. My wife hates it because I spend money. <laughs> see you later, buddy. Adios. Yeah. Wave. Thanks, guys. Yep. See you later. That's a cool guy. He's a cool guy. Yeah, I really like him. I highly recommend you check out his stuff. It's pretty great. Um, oh, I forgot to say Sam says thanks. Sorry, Sam. You do not get a personal goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, so, uh, definitely make sure you check out all of his amazing content. Before we move on to our fourth and final segment, uh, our honor tips and tricks, where we give you new and creative content for your next adventure, um, we are going to give away one more amazing product. Each episode, we will draw another lucky subscriber's name, and they will win the best-selling adventure, The Claws of Madness, compliments of Lawsmith. Lawsmith is a small indie team of creative artists who remember exploring the realms together with friends, finding incredible places, and meeting colorful characters along the way. They set out to deliver an experience that sparks those lasting impressions that pushed them to create their first standalone adventure, The Claws of Madness. This best-selling adventure is one that you don't want to miss. That's awesome. Hey, Ian, who's our winner this week? I'm not going to lie. I spent the entire thing trying to figure out how to say this guy's name. Uh, today's winner is Elberon Toilarian. Eh, that's close as I would have got. That's not bad. I give you credit for that one. Or is it Alvaron Tolarian? Congratulations, Alvaron Tolarian. A word. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> You're this week's winner. Please head on over. If you enjoy the adventure, please head on over to loresmith.com and leave them a review. Uh, writing reviews is the best way to help content creators reach other people. So for our fourth and final segment, our honor tips and tricks segment, we got some really good stuff for you, as we always do. First up on deck, we have our character cast, which, by the way, has been uh, provided to us by our pa- patron, Gabe. Yay, Gabe. Thank you. The alien from another plane. Ooh. You are not native to the material plane. Instead, choose another one. Maybe the elemental plane of fire? Or the uh, forest of uh, Biotopia? Maybe the clockwork nirvana of Mechanus? That sounds so awesome. Is that really a plane? It is now. <laughs> Your character is originally a resident of that plane. Sent on a one-way trip to the material plane for reasons up to you. Maybe you're royalty. Sent away because you're trying to cleanse your family line. Maybe you've committed a crime. And hopped through a gate left open by some high-level adventurers who were well <laughs> on <away>. an adventurer. <laughs> and maybe you're just a normal dude who happened to stumble upon a random portal that opened up while you were strolling down the street. And now you're kind of stuck. <laughs> Could you imagine that? But whatever the case, use the far traveler background and the skag as a way to tie the mechanics into it. That is uh, that is really cool. But I'm really I'm kind of a little too hung up on the fact that he said uh, just just a guy walking along in a portal opened up and you walked into it because you weren't paying attention. Um, I just <laughs> fell into a hole and now I'm here. <laughs> I don't know what to do. That's hilarious. Oh, my God. I'm tripping over that. Um, I really like this idea. Um, it fits really well with some of the other characters, specifically, like, the Genasi, um, who are of, like, half-elemental. Right. I don't know. Are they half-elemental? They're half-elemental, right? Um, or are they full-elemental? I don't know. I don't, I'm don't. i not a big great on the lore, but... Um, Perhaps it depends on the edition. Yeah, but anyways, um, I think this is really cool, especially the different ideas of how you got there. The the random guy walking through a gate, or what if uh, you're, you you rob somebody and you're running away and a, 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 the gate like opened up for you, or there was nowhere else to hide and you're like, shit, I'm going to jump through this portal. Um, I think that could add to a very interesting level of, um, 
uh, character development because then your does your goal become to get back or do you not care because where you're right. at now is better, you know? Ooh, crap. Do I uh, deal with those passes on, on my butt or do I jump through this mystery hole? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's funny. I really think this is a good one. I really like that he touched on the Far Traveler background because when that came out, that was a really that to me that was a really big deal, um, and it gives some really good mechanics uh, to kind of to fit that theme. So, um, I also think that it would be really cool to introduce um, like unique and custom races. Um, if you want to, like you know, we were just talking to Lex. If you you want to introduce a custom race in your PC is one of those. Maybe they come through a specific type of portal or uh, plane of existence. And you can easily, as we said before, just take one of the current races and just reskin it somehow. Oh, yeah, there you go. Um, Sam says, uh, yeah, really good uh, for getting a more conservative DM to allow more exotic races. I, I, I agree 100%. Yep. Um, I do like the idea of reskinning races. Like, I could just describe myself as a little little blue alien, like, out of like UFO stuff, UFO sightings, and in fact, it's just like a gnome stat block. <laughs> yeah. Or for that matter, I remember when um, on one of the Facebook pages that we're, we're uh, both subscribed what? to on Facebook, one of the uh, users there asked, like, uh, what my players wants to breathe fire but be a human? How do I do that? And then, of course, some people so like, uh, get hey, all pissy about it, yeah. Just use the fire breathing spell. But, but you were like, just use the Jackaborn race template and make him scaleless. Oh, you followed my comment. Yeah, I was actually in a minute. I didn't realize you had read my comment. Yeah. Uh, I think my stuff just stuff just pops up my feed because you commented on it. Oh, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that's actually a really good example of something like this where um, that person, everyone was like, no, he's a human. Make him be a dragonborn if he wants to breathe fire. Fucking use the dragonborn stat block. Tell, him you, tell everyone you look like a human. Who cares? Nobody. It's a magical world. Yeah. I mean, okay. With as rampant as magic is. You can't tell me there's not one person that accidentally got dragon breath powers. You know what I mean? Yep. And it's not you're not changing anything from balance perspective, nope. so who gives a flying fuck? You know? Nobody. I don't. You want to be a human that breathes fire? Sure. You got to take all the dragon stat blocks and abilities. Yeah. One thing I do... <laughs> actually, what that makes me think of is the fact that I think that one... Something that a lot of uh, people who play RPGs get stuck on is, I think all, some people have preconceived notions about, let's say, setting or how things should be, be mm-hmm. it how the, game sh- how the game should be played, what kind of stuff sh- you should encounter. Sometimes you do need to step back and go, is it really that big of a deal? Is it's that, not. Is it really that game-breaking? Why should you take something so seriously when you're just there to play a game? You're just there to have fun. <laughs> that And that's and you, you, know, you know, from my perspective, that's the point. And... And some people need to keep in mind, too, that they everyone's different. They have different ideas of how things should be done. And the more that you just go with the flow sometimes, I think the better off things will be for everyone. Right. But, and, but half the time, from a, me- a mechanic standpoint, you don't have to change anything. Right. Mm-hmm. And to think that something like this wouldn't exist. I mean, if your player is the only person that does it, okay, there's, there's mutants now. There's real people in the real world that have two heads, you know, there's people that have multiple arms and an extra body attached to them. You know what? Shit happens. Yep. So why couldn't it happen to your player so your player can have fun doing what they want? Um, yep. uh, <laughs> Sam says, uh, half-cast Dragonborn. <laughs> uh, Actually, I'm not going to lie, though. When uh, we were talking with Alex, I, and unfortunately, I don't know about, uh, too much about his thing as like he does or you mm-hmm. do, obviously, but when Rach idea I came up with in the middle of it, I didn't want to say anything because A, he was on a time crunch, and B, I don't want to just like insert ideas into somebody else's campaign, especially when they're their creator. Right, right. But like, uh, 
but he did say he did open it up though, where other stuff could show up out the blue. Yep, he's got rifts that open up. And uh, one idea I came up with in the middle of it. Let's call this race like the Soulbound. Ooh, originally that they sounds were, hot. Originally they were like a uh, huh. humanoids, just like we are. Is it not, is it controlled by a ring? No. Oh, okay. Because I feel like this is Soulbound to me. And they tried to extend their lives, so they basically added like a tech to themselves, kind of like a ro- Robocop, if you will. But they found that was not quite enough, and they started to turn into magic, turn into like a techno magical race. But mm-hmm. the older they got, the mishap may happen trying to keep alive. Like technology fails, magic fails, and uh, maybe their soul gets less and less attached to their body, and it slowly drives them insane. That's an amazing character concept. Why don't you think about that shit and send it to me? Because I think of st- stuff in like five seconds out the blue, then forget about it ten seconds later. <laughs> Apparently, Sam just loves watching me get tongue-tied. So that was a very long-winded uh, character concept. Um, we we want to thank Gabe for his uh, awesome idea. I love being an alien, and I think the next character I'm gonna, game I play, I'm going to try to become a little gray alien. Like, dude, and I could refl- I could be, oh, dude, I'll be a wizard, and I'll reflavor, like, all my spells and stuff. It's like alien tech. That would be cool. Why do I now picture your character as Roger from American Dad? I haven't seen. Oh, American Dad? No, yeah. I haven't seen that. That's a guy with a really big chin, right? Really big yeah. Build. I know of it. I haven't seen it. Um, they, they have, like, a little, like, a great alien living with them. Yeah. From Area 51. That won't go away. Oh, dude, that's awesome. <laughs> Okay, so that'll do it for our character concept. Compliments of our patron, Gabe Kleinart. Thank you so much for your submission, boss. Keep being awesome. Our monster... I, I'm so bad. I made this for I made this for the underwater episode, but I liked it so much, I'm like, this shit's going in the next episode. <laughs> so I gotta make a new monster for that episode. Um, our monster variant today is the Tide Master. The origin of this monster is the Marrow. It's basically like a giant uh, merman type thing, mermaid, whatever. Basically, I gave it a single feature, but the single feature creates an entire different encounter type. Uh, I gave it a lair action. So uh, if you don't know, lair actions are additional abilities to help reduce the issue with... Um, uh, the action economy, so that the players still have another challenge when they're fighting maybe just one monster or a few. Um, and on a, a lair action, uh, triggers on the count of initiative of 20, losing all ties. The Tide Master lair action uh, causes the uh, following magical effect. A strong current moves around the Tide Master at his will. Each creature within 60 feet of the Tide Master must succeed on a DC 14 strength saving throw or be pushed up to 30 feet away from the Tide Master. On a success, the creature is still pushed 10 feet away from the Tide Master. A creature that fails three saving throws suffers a level of exhaustion. And I don't know about you, but that makes sense to me because I've been to the ocean, and when it gets big <sighs> waves, you do what it wants. Oh, hell yeah. And a lot of this stuff stems from me trying to write notes for our uh, our underwater combat ideas, and in addition to I'm writing a, a adventure based on the boat and stuff, that, and an idea that myself, Troy, my buddy Troy came up with. But um, it made sense to me that if you're in underwater fighting, there's a lot of shit that's going on. And in this case... The con- being able to control the current and push enemies away, uh, restricting engagement of like melee. Yep. I mean, that, to push you back thirty feet, you know the average swim speed is half your movement, right? Yeah. By default. So you know what that means? Melee You're can't get close. Not in a good spot. But if they're strong enough, they can, right? Yep. And that's kind of kind of the point. It still takes a lot of movement and it slows them down. Which at this point. They need the the goal is to come up with a 
a very specific style tactic because um, just trying to charge in isn't going to work as easily if you're constantly being battered away. And because you can't just outright engage the person uh, by charging in, um, because eventually the longer it's going to take longer, which means you might end up failing and eventually get a level exhaustion, which means you're going to fail more and more. And eventually you're just going to be washed away downstream. Yep. All you got to do now is add like a waterfall at the end of it and they're fucked. <laughs> um, Sharp rocks the bomb. <laughs> um, the idea behind this character is I love drowning people. So by him using his lair action, he has a special harpoon that he can hit people with um, and use it to drag them to him. So he can take on the enemies one at a time, or he can choke them and just start swimming and drowning them, and the players can't catch up. Ooh. Uh, so that was what I what, that was what I envisioned when I made this. What do you what do you think about this whole style com- of combat? Well, I thought about Aquaman briefly, only. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. I don't know. Justice League made Aquaman seem pretty baller. He's pretty much an underwater barbarian. (laughs) To be fair, though, Aquaman in the comics is way more awesome than what most people think he is. Yeah, doesn't he have, like, super strength and indestructible skin and some shit? The guy lives in the bottom of the Marianas Trench, and that's a pretty hostile environment to regular humans. So anybody that can live through that, it's pretty awesome. And... Actually, I think a lot of and the, being uh, trapped. No, I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna keep that. Never mind. I was gonna say something. That might. Nah, we're good. Never mind. But I think a lot of the uh, the uh, negative publicity of them comes from the old Super Friends cartoon. Oh yeah. Yeah. Wonder when Wonder Twin powers activate. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can talk to fish. Uh, uh, Sam says that um, he likes it, but it does make the uh, monster much harder. Um, the monster itself, uh, it makes the encounter much harder. Um, but that's because the goal is to change your, uh, you have to come up with unorthodox, actually he just says that, you have to come up with very unorthodox combat solutions. While uh, a fighter engaging this thing probably isn't too, too, um, gonna be too successful unless they have like a piercing javelin or something. I'm also kind of picturing the fishman from One Piece with this monster. (laughs) Oh. That's 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 actually a good idea. That, that's that's exactly, that's very cool. Those guys are pretty monstrous too. <laughs> um, but yeah, I like this creature. I like how it has some like uh, feel control and definitely can manipulate your party to its advantage. Well, and what's interesting, Cola says it's especially de- uh, deadly concept if you combine it with like a giant shark or octopus or, or even crab minions. Um, I, I, Sharktopus. <laughs> Sharktopus. Uh, I agree 100%. Um, the goal of this is to be uh, a kind of a, a, a solar or a, a, a solo, more of a solo encounter, um, but depending on what level the players are, you can toss him at them. I forget what CR rating he was, but um, the main goal of this is to make it really difficult on the players to just try to charge in because one thing that players always do, they just charge in. So what happens when you put them in a situation where that isn't a, a feasible option? What are they going to do? You know, like any situation that makes the players have to reconsider their usual tactics and shake things up. That's right. always a win in my book. Well, um, and this uh, because of this, more uh, combat focuses around more control abilities because now you're not going to be able to stab him, so what can you do? Abilities that can drag people towards you or push him away, get him out of range, get him into range, are going to become far more uh, important. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it might take them a couple rounds before they realize that too. Um, you know okay. what I mean? Okay, I'm nothing, also thinking about the second Hokage from Naruto. I don't know which one that one is. I forget. The water guy. The octopus guy? No, no, the water guy. I don't remember. It's been a while. Like, like his old. his whole shtick was like, he can use like uh, water abilities, but he didn't actually need water near him. He can just create water. That's cheating. Yep. 
Um, all right, so uh, that Hokage. <laughs> so that does it for the monster variant, the Tide Master. Definitely, if you want a unique encounter, um, this is this will do it. This will really ruin their day. <laughs> I'll say. I cannot wait to get to our underwater and aerial combat episode. You have no idea, dude. I literally have like three pages of notes. <laughs> oh, and uh, Gabe will be joining us on that episode. Nice. Wait, I think yes, that one. Um, so moving on to our encounter of the podcast. Uh, welcome, by the way, Cole. I didn't say hi. Uh, I don't know which uh, listener that is in the like the feed or anything, but welcome. Wow. Uh, and, and yes, so, welcome. Yeah, Cole actually prefers encounters with several small mobs um, that have uh, complementing abilities. I mean, that's that's that we need to do an episode on that too. Oh, Alaska, nice. Are you going to Anchorage by any chance? It's always funny when people, I hear people are from Alaska and there's only two places they always ask. Are you from Anchorage or Juneau? And that's it. It's like most people here Shoot. don't know that there's more than that. To be fair, Anchorage is the biggest city, so that's kind of playing yeah, the odds. Fair enough. Uh, and it looks like for sure he is. Or for sure he's agreeing with me. I don't know. There's a 10 second delay. And actually, I actually hear there's a surprisingly large uh, RPG community in Alaska. Oh, well, that'd be awesome. Just because apparently these... Wow, Anchorage is more than half the population, according to Cole. So, yeah, you dick. Oh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do about assumptions? All right, so um, do you want to take the next one? Sure. Our encounter the podcast is Blind Faith. The encounter starts around the Medusa, who is raising a blind baby she found in the woods. Introduce a group of NPC paladins that are trying to rescue the child. I like what you did there with the fingers. <laughs> yep. The PCs approach the paladin, getting ready to behead the Medusa, while she begs and pleads with them to let her hold her child at least one last time, screaming and yelling to make sure the child is taken care of. To add to the drama, you can have a villager or two on the Medusa's side yelling that she protects the village and she never hurts a villager. The paladin 100% believe that she is a creature of evil. What do the PCs do? Um, <laughs> so Cole, uh, Cole says, well, uh, it's more than... Uh, wait, he says, um, stupid cold dark winters. What else is there to do besides RPGs? <laughs> and Cole's like, too true. Um, so I think that's actually why it's popular in Alaska. <laughs> so this, this concept comes back to the fact that I love moral ambiguity. Here you are, you have a situation. Um, uh, players automatically assume all the time that monsters are what? Evil. Always. And now you have a group of NPC paladins trying to slay this beast, this evil beast who... If they're paladins, they likely they they 100% believe that she's evil, right? Well, and this might be a good example of lawful dick. Yes, or lawful stupid too. Um, but the the she's basically having her child taken away, which is the child is blind, right? Um, her ch the child has a, maybe has a handicap. I don't remember if I put that in there. Blind. Oh, it is blind, um, which is unique for her because she can snuggle and hug it and, and, and do things it. to it and not kill it. Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, so it, to be able to see a mother Medusa uh, having a very maternal uh, reaction to what's going on really, I think, in, in my opinion, could be a good opportunity to pull, the, pull on those heartstrings to really make the, the players care about a monster that normally is something they wouldn't think too, 
two thoughts about chopping off its head. Right. Um, but instead, here they are. They've got other people about to kill this thing. And so are they going to sit on the sideline and say, well, she's bad. Fuck it. Let them do their job. Right. Or are they going to try to intervene? Are they going to believe her? Are they going to believe the villagers that she's good? And how are they going to uh, address that? I would definitely feel like you're, if she had villagers on their her side, that they would definitely nudge the players in that direction. Yeah, do you think uh what how do you how do you see this unfolding? If you're in a group of players and you you come to this encounter, you see this happening. I could definitely see this being like uh leading to campaign opportunities down the line cuz obviously I would think that in many cases, especially when there's villagers backing him up, the players would probably side with, with the Medusa, but that could potentially piss off this paladin order cuz you interfered with them, creating right. like uh, friction with the order down the line. Maybe they'll come after you. Maybe they'll won't help you when you need their help later on. Right, right. Um, uh, Sam asks, can anything cure Medusa of magical offensive effects? You mean like stop her from turning people to stone? Like a blindfold? Maybe. Um, uh, some sort of binding effect, maybe? Could be. Uh, not that I can think of, but doesn't mean... Raw, not top of my head, but doesn't mean you can homebrew something easily enough. Because, well... Magic. There's always that. I'm actually going to check to see if it's an action for her to do that willingly or if it's something that just happens all the time. I know with the Gorgon, it always happens, I think, as long as you're looking at him. Yeah, it says the Medusa can force it to make a DC save. So it is something that she can control and choose not to do, it seems. So that right there can show a lot because if she's engaged in these and she wants to rescue her baby, she can easily try to turn him to stone. And if she's not, that should be some sort of indication that she's good as well right or at least not hostile towards these people and she's also calling out and begging to save her save her child and make sure she's taken care of i just want to hold it one more time i'm gonna i'm gonna tear up just talking about this shit man yeah that and that's kind of where we were going with it that you know the villager supporter and uh you know says that the she protects the village and never hurts the village so you really could have a good uh an interesting scenario on your head (laughs) on your hand (laughs) And going off of, like, um, people assume monsters are evil, but sometimes they're not. I remember one RPG game we played where we saw a huge troll going among sheep. We're like, oh my gosh, this troll's attacking, attacking this, this flock. We must attack it to protect the, the shepherd. And uh, we run to it, we hit him, like, oh, why'd you hurt Bill? <laughs> he was the shepherd. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, do you guys have any additional comments uh, on that scenario? What are your What are your guys' thoughts? Um, is this something you think would be interesting to run into as a player or to run as a DM? <laughs> Cole says, apparent baddie serving actual community services. Complex. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, Sam makes a good point. Make sure the character is fully fleshed out. Yeah, I would say if you're going to do something like this, um, use the um, the ideals, the bonds, and the flaw section from the character sheet to give that give her a more easier way a to role player right because if you've got that list of reminders of how she would act but also to drive your decisions during the conversation as well. Right. I mean, her being a hysterical mother is at least strong enough as it is. Eh. So that does it for our encounter of the podcast, Blind Faith. Our magic item of the podcast is the bag of scolding. You are ugly. (laughs) It's basically a bag of holding that tells you off every time you use it. Think angry mother-in-law levels of complaining. Uh, Some examples I have here is, take, take, take. All you ever do is take. You treat me like a slave. (laughs) Maybe you will appreciate me when I'm gone. (sighs) Why don't you ever say thank you for holding all that garbage of yours, huh? 
Oh, here we go. Yet another item that'll just sit inside my void. To be forgotten. Again. Jerk. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, so Samuel makes a good point. What if this thing get... I'm getting so tired of this stuff. You know what? I'm getting hungry. I'm gonna eat you. And she turns into a bag of devouring. How awesome would that be? Like, if you made it sentient so that you have this condition that if the players don't give her attention or don't treat her right or him right she becomes a bag of devouring over a certain amount of time how awesome would that be that would be kept insane <laughs> like um guys uh yeah what um i tried to get my 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 sword out and um it bit my hand off <laughs> i don't have a hand anymore <laughs> Uh-huh. That's what you get for not appreciating me, sucker. <laughs> um, and, and this really this this really is something simple and basic, but it, I think it could add so much um fun as the DM. Oh yeah. Because you know you know players hoard items. We all do. We know that. They get just they just chuck them in and they, they, they say they carry all the weight or whatever and they don't really think about it. But every time you stuff this thing in, it's like, oh you're not gonna stuff another <laughs> I can't believe you just did that. You better get this stuff out of me. <laughs> I think this could be so much fun. Uh, Sam says, have you ever had any players uh, put items in a bag that rot or smell bad? That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, I don't think I've ever done that. <laughs> so if she starts putting like rotten food or stuff inside her, oh, this tastes nasty. What do you think I am? A garbage disposal? <laughs> they wouldn't have garbage disposals. So that's not very good. Uh, but anyways, I think this is a very simple item. Most people get a bag of holding anyway. Yeah. So why not give it a little love? And this gives a lot of additional roleplay options as the pl uh, as the DM when there's not NPCs around. Like, can you imagine? Oh, my God. Can you imagine them on a stealth mission? And, like, the rogue is, like, creeping around and picking up some shit and then stuffs it in. And he says, oh, no, you're not. You're not sticking that back in my throat. And, like, alert all the guards in the next room. Wow. <laughs> That'd be a really dick thing to do. Oh, She's like, shh, I'm going to give you something. I just want to tell you that I appreciate you very much. Would you hold on to this for me for a second? <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> uh, I guess that'll do it for our magic item of the podcast, the bag of scolding. And next up on deck, we have the Dungeon Master Chip. Player-designed quest. You should allow and even encourage players to come up with their own quests that are tied to their individual goals or some specific circumstances in the adventure. And evaluate the proposed quests and build on that for a, as an adventure. And not only does it take some work off you, it also ties the game directly to the player's character and it gets them really more involved with the game. <laughs> gives them a personal investment, if you will. <laughs> yeah, um, what I really... I. I cannot stress this enough, and I think we talked about it a little with, with Lex, and we've talked about it in the past, that players come up with a lot of the greatest ideas, so why not just say, hey, why don't you all write me some quests that you would like to go on, things you think would be interesting, and if you ask six people to do it, you never know which one will get done, or you can mix and match them, and taking a huge workload off of you, but additionally, they're likely to somehow maybe tie it to their background, right, Ooh. or to their own story. Or just for fun, somehow tied to a player's quest together, but make each player want the opposite result from the other. Interesting. So now you got inner party conflict. Yep. I don't have a ding, Gabe. Sorry. <laughs> ding. Um, that's interesting. Uh, also, uh, 
Cole says uh, doing the background quests um, and allowing them to work together allows them to not only help build the story uh, that you guys will be running, but they'll learn more about each other and their characters, which is awesome. <laughs> so I think that's really cool. Um, this is a pretty simple tip, um, but I feel like it can go a lot, long way, especially if you're, if you're so busy with other stuff and you don't get an opportunity to sit down and just write quest after quest after quest. Because really, if you get... At, let's say for two sessions straight, you ask everyone to write quests. Yep. You can shuffle them up and only maybe use one or two per encounter. That'll give you several uh, uh, quests and encounters to do, you know, for the next, you know, however many uh, weeks or months, depending on how often you play. So every day I'm shuffling. <laughs> so that is our dungeon master tip of the podcast: player designed quests. I think I might have got that from a listener, but I actually don't have it on here. So now I'm starting to wonder. If you're a listener and you submitted this, send me hate email. <laughs> <laughs> Our player tip of the podcast is don't, don't be, be a dick. And you can avoid dickitude by listening to Joe Lorindo. Uh, even in the most obvious encounter, you can and should try to role play your way out of it. Players often become murder hobos. We know that, right? Because uh, the first thing they think of when they approach some sort of challenges, stab, burn, crush. You know, destroy it, basically. Um, and that kind of goes back to our uh, monster variant, you know, changing it up a little bit. Um, you know, being able to... you There's so many different ways to over overcome challenges. Um, you have persuasion, bribery, uh, intimidation, and even just spells to outright control people. You know, especially to think of one time where... Well, one of my old groups were playing the uh, Dark Sun setting. Mm-hmm. And, and there was a oh, what's that one race of lizard folk? It's not lizard folk. Crap, that's gonna bug me now. Anywho, we went across the d desert because well, it's dark sun. Everything's a desert, right? And uh, but then our party got ambushed by the, this reptilian race, Yanti. That's what they are. The Yanti. The, the Yanti. Okay, those and, are in the five E book too, I think. Right, and they're about to, to uh, jump at us, but then my character suddenly pulled back its hood. It looks like a Yanti because he's a changeling. <laughs> Oh, that's baller. And which, and your brothers, why the crap are you ambushing and trying to kill my servants? <laughs> Another place like, like, you're what? <laughs> <laughs> I like stuff like this. This reminds me of, uh, uh, I think you were actually in this game where we ran it, we were running, in a, it was in the Adventure League, and ran into a, a warg or pup or something like that, and one of the druids, and I don't know if it was you, you don't, I don't think you played druids, so what probably no, wasn't not you. usually. Um, somebody said, can I just cast speak with animals with it? Oh, we're just passing through, we're not here to invade your space. Oh, okay, and it left. Yep. That, that literally was the extent of the encounter. This goes back to our last episode, or... It goes back to one of our previous episodes. I don't know which one because I didn't Google it. Um, about Google it. I can't Google it. Um, <laughs> about, you know, giving quest uh, experience and rewards for stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, and you should be doing that. And that was one way that happened. Another one that happened, and I'm sure I've told this this on the, the show before about, you know, uh, the players about to engage in mass combat with an entire horde of orcs and the adventurers take on the, the main contingent with the leader. And Luke just says, I've got this steps up and casts fricking phantasmal force and convinces the stupid orc that he sees his God and that battle is not to be won today. There will be much bloodshed in days to come. You must treat retreat for now. 
and he fucking bought it, and they just they just left. <laughs> so they just walked away. I'm just like, God damn it, dude. <laughs> um, Cole says, uh, my group has proven to be little more than murder hobos, even against otherwise innocent child monsters. Yeah. Now, what you need to do, Cole, to really uh, make them feel regret, when they're attacking them, make sure you're describing the, the slow look in their eyes as they look up to you with this innocent smile and... <laughs> You can see a tear running down its eyes, and it's you can feel the trembling of this little creature, and you can tell that it's f- uh, fearful for its life, and it, it reaches it, it's it, it reaches out and, and it caresses you and begs you to, to 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 protect it and leave and save him and leave him alone. You really gotta you really gotta get into it. even start if you gotta get some water droplets to put the little tears in your eyes. You need to do that. Oh, that made me think of <laughs> think of a player that we nicknamed Baby Killer. Baby Killer. Oh my God, dude. <laughs> That's that's horrible. <laughs> yeah, especially when the kid was, was like giving their their background. So I ran away from my people, and she was an elf, mm-hmm. because we were at war with the giants, and we attacked this tribe and killed them. But then we found this uh, giant infant. Oh wow, that sucks! And my leader of our contingent ordered me to kill it. And this is a baby. I'm not going to kill a baby. Oh, that seems reasonable. So I killed my master. What well, that. That seems harsh, but I guess you were trying to protect an innocent creature. But then, as time went by, I realized, like, wait a second, this is a giant. They're, these are the sort of my people. And I'm, like, I'm not going to take care of a giant, so I put it up his misery. <laughs> I'm like, wait, so you killed your... What? What? That, that, that's horrible. Right. I hope a meteor fell on your character. I really no, did. No, no, no. This, this is not my character. Oh, okay. As I said, that's a really dick move to do. Um. I, so, Sam actually has an interesting idea here. He says... Uh, the players encounter a monster that can form a concentration link with a player uh, that takes the incoming damage instead of the monster so that the players hurt each other by attacking him. That would be interesting. Now, there's actually a monster I use that does something similar. If you have not used an intellect devourer, I highly recommend it. Oh. Because not only can you make force each other, you, not only can you take over control of a player's character or let them play it viciously, but you can send a couple of intellect devourers and totally just take over the party and do terrible, terrible things and get them kicked out of places and banned from places and get wanted posters of them slaying it. It's intellect devourers. They're so great. Anyways, totally far off topic. But um, so thank you, Joe, for your submission. Definitely try to role play your way out of uh, uh, a combat encounter every time you can because think about it this way. Unless you're like Ian here and your favorite part is the stabbing stuff. How much more story and content can you get through if you can find ways around it? Quite a bit. And and that's pretty awesome. So follow Joel Lorendo's uh, example and avoid dickitude by trying to RP your way out of combat. Before we close out today, we have one more gift that we would like to give away. Compliments of our sponsor, Jeff Stevens. It's been a long few days of travel, and the adventurers are tired of eating rations and sleeping on the ground. The road opens to a small town with an inviting tavern. The smells of grilling meat and ale fill their nostrils, and the sound of laughter and music float out the tavern's door. Unlucky for the adventurers, they've stumbled upon Dragon's Breath Tavern. What starts out as a pleasant evening of food, drink, and entertainment soon evolves into an adventure that takes the party into and under Dragon's Breath Tavern. The adventure includes roleplay, exploration, combat, and a dice game called Demon Dice. 
Ian, who's our winner today? Our winner today is Norman Avery, 35. I think he's won stuff before. Has he? I'm pretty sure. I don't know. Let's celebrate. Yeah. When it comes crashing down and it hurts inside. You gotta take a stand. It don't help. Congratulations. If you enjoy the adventure, please head on over to DM's Guild and let Jeff Stevens know what you think about it. Please join us on our next episode where we hear feedback from our heroes. We will discuss prepping and overplanning with Michael from RPG Academy. I'm super excited. So if you guys don't know, I actually was just on his sh- one of his shows. He's got like a dozen of these things, but I was just on his detention center. You can find it. Uh, I shared a link uh, earlier this week on Wednesday. Um, you can find it over at twitch.tv slash RPG Academy. And you can actually, I was on a show and man, he's got an ama- this, this weird game. Uh, they, they do two improv games. And one is Where Have My Fingers Been? And you start talking to your fingers... <laughs> Have me crack it out. It's pretty funny. Uh, but you can check me out on over there. We're going to have him as a guest uh, next week, so I'm super excited because uh, I don't think we've done – we haven't done an episode on all on prepping and over planning and things you can – pitfalls you can fall into when doing that. So I'm super excited for that. Yep. Before we close out, I want to just remind our listeners this will be the last episode that'll air. So, uh, in regards to us going to ShooterCon, so if you don't know, there's an anime convention in Lansing, Michigan, uh, called ShooterCon on the 24th of March. We have a panel there. It's going to be a choose your own adventure panel, and we're basically going to tell use D and D as a medium to tell a story. And just like the old books, all the audience is going to pick and choose between a couple options and determine the outcome. Um, and I'm not done yet. <laughs> so I really am making it so that their decisions really impact the story as much as possible. So uh, Sam asks of us about streaming the panel. Um, we cannot. Um, there is no internet there unless I try to stream through my phone. And I'm going to be honest, my phone, not very good. But what we are going to do is try to record it and then I can get it uploaded shortly after so our patrons can see it. Right. Um, at least that's the plan. And if you don't see it up after we record it, it's because it went horrible and I don't want to show you because everything worked in my brain but didn't work in actual um, execution. execution. So <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Uh, I know at least we're going to have at least uh, two patrons uh, are going to be there. So I'm excited for that. Oh, Woo-hoo! and we're giving shit away. I've got bundle packs that I'll be giving away of with some cool goodies in it um, that I spent money on instead of buying new equipment. So maybe I should uh, <laughs> change my priorities a little bit. <laughs> But another important part is our fans. Yeah, that's true. If you have any uh, feedback or unearthed tips and tricks you would like us to discuss, please send them to us. You can email them to us at criticacademy at, at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Please, if you'd like to support our show, visit patreon.com slash criticacademy. You know, for as little as a dollar a month, you can uh, join us. And we got an awesome Discord community, and it's starting to grow, and I'm really excited for that. So um, definitely check it out. We hope you enjoyed your experience here at Crit Academy. And if you did, you can help others find the show by hopefully leaving a five-star review on iTunes or your platform of choice. Or you can just send us a message telling us how much you enjoy the show. Also, be sure to give us a like and a share. Make sure to subscribe to our show at CritAcademy.com so we can help you on your future adventures, as well as be entered to win cool prizes each and every week. And you also f- find our Leaser Fellowship members there as well. And we have quite a few Fellowship members. <laughs> 
Make sure to check out all our fellowship members at critnation.com. We have links to Interparty Conflict. Those guys do an awesome job, Gabe and, and Jeff. You know, they answer your questions. Their whole show is a lot like our Let's Talk About Blake segment. Also head over to D&D uh, Character Lab. They generate their own... Uh, characters and argue their validity on this crazy scale that they made uh which is very subjective <laughs> and i think they say they use their own charisma modifiers to try to get the other person to believe their baby is better um and of course uh, i do highly recommend checking out oricon's layer as well uh his blog is awesome he's got lots of great content i am your host justin i'm your co-host dan thanks for listening keep your blade sharp and spells prepared heroes